Hey folks, welcome back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, episode 169. Hi folks, welcome back. It's goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. So pleased to have um, a special guest in the house, Mr. John Hyman. Hello. John, how are you, man? I'm pretty good. How's everybody doing? Good. Jeff, how you doing, bro? I'm, I'm doing all right. <coughs> yeah, I'm yeah. doing all right. It's yeah. the doldrums of summer, kind of. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Uh, You're putting down wood floors at your house. I'm putting, I'm putting down some wood floors at my house. That's All of that is true. Um, does, does the sawdust get gummy because of the humidity the way like back in the day when you did blow oh man I didn't point to you John saying you did blow <laughs> it was a universal one right when the universal you would do blow <laughs> this time of year in New Orleans it gets so gummy uh-huh. you'd have to like do it super quick uh-huh. or just at some point like just stick the gumball like under your tongue under your in your <laughs> I'm not ready for gum. political office anymore I'm I just making know. that announcement right now I'm alcohol and weed only I don't oh, know about that stuff. <laughs> yes. okay right. yeah. so does the humidity fuck up the weed at all no well it can make it a little sticky yeah you can make it a little sticky yeah yeah you like keep it in your freezer <laughs> but it starts out sticky anyway so right you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you: Have you moved on to from like the plant version to like the vape? No, thing? I'm still doing it the old-fashioned way, rolling joints. Rolling joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And do but, you-, uh, you know, it's amazing when you're you're out like at festivals now. I mean, like Jazz Fest this year. I mean, you hardly saw a joint. Everybody's doing vaping one way. Exactly. Or oh yeah, vaping. they're vaping, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, rolling a joint is now like this kind of like nostalgic thing yeah well i'm kind of trying to be a bit old-fashioned and traditional yes. about some things why not? <laughs> why not and i'm old you know and I, I, I don't do change easily anymore sure well you're you're kind of uh, uh i don't know man you're a staple of new orleans in my opinion and i i don't folks i john i don't know you you know i know of you we've right. i've seen you around probably sure. 250 times at between music clubs <laughs> Festivals, second lines, whatever you are, Indian stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're an institution. You're ubiquitous. <laughs> an ubiquitous on, icon. on the music uh, ubiquitous scene. Ubiquitous icon. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know. I love the music. That's why I've lived here for over forty years. The biggest reason. I mean, there's other reasons, but that's the biggest reason. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I get everywhere I can. I don't get around as, to the extent I used to. I don't do late stuff anymore. You know, evenings, early daytime and early evening shows, yes. and then I'm done. Yeah, sure, sure. And what brought you to New Orleans in the first place? Where are you from originally? Well, I'm from London, England. Mm-hmm. And um, in 1975, my then lady and I, we'd been together for about a year uh, living in, in London. And we decided we were both at a bit of a loose end kind of professionally and decided we want to do some serious traveling and maybe go around the world, whatever. And basically got rid of everything and uh, started out and... Uh, Got as far, well, started in New York City and then went up into Canada and all the way down the East Coast, down to the bottom of Florida and back up on the Gulf side and planned it to get here in time for Mardi Gras, 76. Nice. And did. And um, basically that was it. Uh, you know, we, we did go on and do other things, but always kept a place here and uh, this is home. Nice. So uh, my this is where I was supposed to be. This is what I decided. This is, yeah, this so is right. where I was supposed to be. I didn't know right. until I got here. I mean, I knew the music in England. I had you uh, did. 
yeah, I had, you know, Ari and Bechet and Armstrong on CD, I mean, yeah. not CDs, uh, LPs in LPs, those days. right, and, right, uh, sure. So I was into New Orleans traditional jazz in particular. Uh, I, I see. go around London, you know, travel across London to hear some good traditional jazz somewhere. So I, you know, but uh, I, w- I wasn't expecting it, the overall effect of New Orleans to be so uh, overwhelming. And it was right away uh, that, that Mardi Gras of 90s? Yeah, I guess so, 76. yeah. yeah. Because sometimes Mardi Gras can be a little, uh, you don't. A lot of people come here for Mardi Gras and they don't really get the authentic New sure. Orleans. You have to kind of have the right Mardi Gras experience in New Orleans. Well, I, I knew one person here, um, whose number I had, a, a woman who's uh, I'd met in London. I, I used to drink in a pub in Hampstead with her father, who was a Texan who was seconded over there for a few <laughs> years or something, and she came to March's daughter came to visit him one summer. And we became friendly, and uh, I had our numbers. So uh, when we got here, I parked, parked the old station wagon when we were driving, and I called her, and she said, okay, meet us in Johnny White's this evening. That's the, the original Johnny White's on St. Peter, and so we did, and met a lot of other good people that evening, and basically it all snowballed from there. Yeah. <laughs> so we did that first Mardi Gras with people who knew their way around. That's That was what I was getting to. How then. long did it take you before you felt like all right, this is, I feel a part of this community. Not very long, really. Yeah. Um, you know, we uh, lived, we got a place in the quarter. Yeah. And um, uh, I think for the for probably the first year we lived here, we probably never crossed Canal Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Right, right. But then, then found out about Tipitina's and, of course, all the uptown clubs as well. Jimmy's. Started there, going all over at Jimmy's, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The, other, the ones that were the others up there. Jed, was, Jed's and... Uh, Jed's, of all course. Those right. old clubs. What yeah. was the French Quarter like in, in the late 70s? It's very different from what it is now. I mean, yeah. it's still great, but it's not what it was. I mean, it was just such a cosmopolitan society. I mean, there was everybody from every walk of life living there rents were so cheap back in those days that's and, right uh, right so it was just you know like johnny, johnny white hmm? multicultural yeah absolutely yeah uh, uh you know all sorts of everybody living there kind of cheap by jowl and uh, johnny white's was a great bar and uh, every every you get meet anybody and everybody in there made lots of good friends there yeah and uh, just a great atmosphere being a fan of traditional jazz, did you frequent the pre- uh, Preservation Hall in that yeah. era? And did you get to know the Jaffees? Because we had Ben Jaffe on the show uh-huh. once, and he described uh, the kind of overall uh, tenor of what the French Quarter was like. As a, as a kid. From his memories yeah. uh, then as well. Yeah. Well, I, I know Ben, because uh, I, I, he was a kid then. I just sure. Know him, I, but I knew Alan, his father. Oh, you did. You did. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, we used to go to Preservation Hall. It cost a dollar in those days. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and apart from the regular evening gigs, I always remember once a month on a Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, Sunday, I think, afternoon, the New Orleans Ragtime Orchestra had a gig in there. And that right. was always a great gig. That's Lars Edegren's band. And it's still Lars Edegren's band, although he's the only one in it now that was in it there. Most of them, sadly, have passed. Fantastic musician, Lars. Yeah. And um, you came you came to the States, you came to New Orleans um, as an immigrant. New Orleans is not uh, 
the easiest place to find employment sometimes. And so what, how did that pan out for you? Were you able to find work and, and do what you needed to do in order to make a buck or two? Well, we just got some silly little minimum wage jobs initially. Oh, we just, right. you know, we just Because we decided, after Mardi Gras, we decided, well, we, we need to, you know, make a little, add to, add to the money pile a little bit. So we decided <laughs> right, we're going right. to stay here for a couple of months and get, get little jobs, and we did. And I was, mine was in a head shop on Bourbon Street. Oh, really? I didn't even know what all that stuff was for at uh, that time. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was a t-shirt shop, you right, know, but, right. which it also was. Right. Um, and Sadie got a job somewhere, and so we, and then after it, then, well, then when we were about to move on, we were going to go head west, I um, saw an ad in the paper for um, counter help at the New Orleans uh, golf tournament, uh, PGA golf tournament, which was on the West Bank in those days. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I went out there and uh, said, uh, you know... Uh, John, uh, were you qualified for this in some way? I mean, did you have an affinity for golf or were you a pr- practitioner of the sport? No, no. no. It, was no. Just, it, was a, it was a job and, you know... Typical New Orleans story. And it would story. be fun, fun, you know, to work outside, you know, for sure. a, just for a week and whatever. Yes, and yes. Uh, you know the guy that ran the company uh, took one look look at me and looked at some of the other people that were applying for the jobs, and he thought I might be able to count, you know. So, uh, so, <laughs> so little, abso- like, absolutely, and bring your girlfriend, you know. Yeah, he did a little profile. He's like, these guys look <laughs> so okay. So we did we did that for a week, and then we were leaving town, and the, uh, the accent was cool. The guys that uh, we I was working for one guy, and Sadie was working for his wife, and they said, well, we got another tournament in Houston next week. Oh, uh, okay, you're heading west why don't you uh, come work for us again at the Houston one for a week? Sure. So we did that. And at the end of that one, the boss of the outfit said, look, uh, I got another big, I got a big one coming up in Fort Worth, Texas in two weeks. And if you want to come do that one, I'll give you your own stand. So you'll go on a commission. Nice. So, <laughs> okay. Wow. So we did that. And then uh-huh. anyway, so uh-huh. we wound up doing that, uh, the, the PGA thing concessions for about five or six years. Wow! And they're back in New Orleans in the off time, which was mostly in the fall, and then uh-huh. some you know, little bits other in the year. We didn't, you know, we didn't. The guy, the guy didn't have all the tournaments on the tour, but he right, right. had about twenty a year. Oh, not so bad. Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of yeah. like the uh, rich huh. white guy's version of the carnival. Yeah, you, know, you go from town to town. A little bit, yeah. 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 It's, got, it's got a little bit of that. Well, the guy that owned this company, I mean, it started out as a carnival carnival <laughs> company. Uh, he had inherited it from his father-in-law, who was an old carny. Yeah. And There you uh, go, John. He got the idea that, that he was a little cut above whatever, and he was exactly. a member of the Colonial Colonial Country well, Club. Well, just put polo oh. shirts on everybody oh. and yeah. just do the same thing we're already doing. Colonial. So he just came up with the idea. Harriet. He was a member of the Colonial. That's so where I said, grew oh, up. Let me, let me do the... Okay, yeah. Fort Worth. Uh, no, no. Oh, oh, I thought you meant the Colonial one here. No, there was no. one here. The no. one in Colonial. Fort Worth. Colonial, where they, they have the, the big tournament gotcha. every year on tour. Okay. <laughs> all right. So he said, you know, what said to them, well, why don't you let me do the catering? You know, I do I do all this stuff. I do the catering for the tournament. And okay. And then... It went so well that he got a reputation and started getting contracts from uh, whole clubs all around the country. Wow. Nice. Went nice. to the U.S. Open nice. and the PGA Championship several times. And John, I, that's that's I the American dream for immigrants <laughs> right there. You know? And, John, you were able to meet some of the golf greats yeah. uh, along yeah. the way. Nicholas first, first, and uh, Lee Trevino, et cetera. First day um, at uh, Lakewood Country Club uh, here, um, I sold Jack Nicholas or a Polish hot dog. <laughs> perfect perfect 
So that was, that was an interesting five, six years, uh, but mm-hmm. we always came mm-hmm. back here. And then during that period, we made a bit of money and uh, bought our first house here in the Marini. Oh, I see. Okay. And which was needing total renovation, which we then worked on for about five years. This yeah. is around yeah, 1982 time or something like that yes. around there? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. I think we actually we bought the house in 79, I think. But we, so, we, oh, okay. we worked the golf tour until 82. Yeah, 82. 82, right. Yeah. Interesting. And the Marini certainly was a very different place then as yeah. well. Like just... Uh, uh, yeah, it was. Everything needed was in need of renovation. At well, the time. yeah. In, mo- in, in a yeah, sense, mostly. Mostly. Yeah, mostly right. right. It was good. It was fine. I enjoyed it. Sure. We lived in the quarter until we bought that house. And right. then kept getting thrown out of place in the quarter because everything was suddenly going condo. And we'd just get into uh, a place and say, okay, it's going condo next week. You want right. to buy your condo? No. <laughs> right, right. So then we found the house in the Marini and bought it. And then after that, moved back to the quarter. And I've lived in the quarter ever since. You have. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And then, so at some point, you become also involved with WWOZ. Yeah, that was right. a bit later. That was a bit later. I went into real estate as the way I was going to earn a living after ah. the golf tour. And I was a real estate agent and later a real estate broker for a I bunch see. of years. So that's basically how I how I made made my living. Right. Like all downtown properties mostly, like yeah. below Canal? Fre- yeah. yeah, below Canal. Yeah. French Quarter, Marigny, Bywater, Tremé. Right, because you knew it. Right. You were selling what you knew. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you saw a ton of change ton of change was there ever like a red flag where you're like oh shit like a, a what or like a red flag where you're well, seeing yeah. the mechanisms of, uh, of it's gradually because it's always creeping you know yeah but you, it's a you slow see, creep you see it creep it's a slow creep yeah and then suddenly it's changed yeah. completely but oz yeah i got involved with oz really just uh, as a volunteer to answer the phone at fund drives right and then um then I got asked to uh, to produce some shows during the fun drive, and I did that for a number of years. You sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you were as ubiquitous a presence on OZ during the fun drives for many years, I recall. I did, yeah, I did, um, I did a lot of it. I did, seeing did a you lot out on the street. A lot know. of different people's shows. That I particularly was hooked up with Tom Morgan, who oh, yeah, uh, of course. sadly is no longer here. Uh, that's another story which I probably shouldn't get into. <laughs> Okay. Unless you want me to. Yes. Go, yeah, John, Please. go ahead, man. Oh, well, this this, this involved Bob French. I, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Should, should, I, should I talk about Bob No, French? please, please tell us. <laughs> yeah, tell us the story. Well, uh, I got became, you know, acquainted with Bob from doing stuff at OZ. Sure. And uh, he told me that he wanted to make a record, and uh, was I interested in uh, putting up money to, for him to make a record? And I thought about it, and eventually I said, yeah, I would. And so uh, we had a recording session. It, it was a great session and uh, with, I mean, terrific cast of musicians. And, right, right. Uh, it let, it, two, uh, two records came out of the session. Um, the first one was called Living the Legacy. And the second one was called The Legacy Lives On. And, uh, but Bob and I have wound up, he didn't want me to do the second one uh, at the point I thought we should do it. And we started arguing about that. But uh, basically, um, he screwed me over financially pretty bad. You didn't get paid your money back. Right. Right. And uh, uh, got a lot of, some of the musicians worked up uh, against me and whatever. That's all oh, smoothed no. over now. Oh, good. Did the musicians did, not get paid as one, well? Maybe one exception I'm not going to name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you know two great records came out of that and okay. uh, you still hear a lot of it you still hear him played on OZ quite a bit so great records but financially the revenues were not dispersed appropriately basically yeah kind well of. yeah that happens. You didn't oh, get I can't paid tell back. you how, how many how many musician friends of mine came up to me afterwards and said, "Why didn't you talk to me before you went into that with Bob? I'd have told you." <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. But in, uh, indeed. But um, at this point, two great records that live on. Yeah. Still today. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and uh, and you did the fun drive on OZ. Yep. And then, sorry, is your name sorry, on the oh, line? But then, but then the, what, the other thing, what wound up happening, which was really nothing to do with uh, with my situation with Bob, but uh, Tom and Bob got into it. They, they their shows were consecutive on a Tuesday morning. Oh uh, yes, okay. And Bob started hassling Tom for. They thought Tom should give him some money for a photo that appeared in a book in which Tom had just written some uh, some notes. This is some New Orleans shit right here. Uh, yeah. Boy, oh boy. And yeah. uh, wound, wound up uh, on Tuesday morning with uh, Bob swinging and hitting Tom on the nose right there in the studio. And... Uh, <laughs> Lord, oh my. There, there, there was nobody else present in the studio when it happened. Well, good. But it wound up that both Bob and Tom got taken off the air, uh, which was yeah, very, that's unfair, right. very unfair to Tom. I didn't realize and, that uh, that's what went down, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of that. That was. I mean, he was thinking about it anyway. But that was the catalyst, really, for sure. Tom leaving town. That was the catalyst, right? Yeah. yeah, that's that's unfortunate that things went down uh, like that. But so many stories like that in right. New Orleans, as uh, you know, as as we all know, and uh, not the least of which are stories that are related to. Uh, some of the great musicians that have passed recently sure. here in New Orleans, including sure. uh, Dave Bartholomew uh, and and Mac Rebenag, aka Dr. John, Leah Chase, the great chef, Spencer Boren. You know, I yes, mean, indeed. I could say Ronnie Vergitz. Yeah. You know, even as sure. a writer, and and absolutely. And, and uh, Low Buck Senegal yeah. as well. And somebody, somebody said, you know, um, after Mac passed, that Doc, Dr. John's uh, up, in, up playing up there, and Leah's uh, serving dinner, and Ronnie's writing about it all. And Ronnie's writing exactly. About it all. all right. Oh man, so uh, he was king of Crew de Vu, one of the, one of the kings of Crew de Vu when I was heavily involved in Crew de Vu. Right, Ronnie was. Right. Oh, Ronnie was. Yes. Really. Can you th- tell us a little bit about him? Because he's a mysterious figure in the uh, annals of New Orleans music. Joel, you might not even know who we're talking about here. You know, Ronnie, uh, what was... Uh, he was a writer, uh, predominantly, and radio right. person, radio and TV personality um, with yes. his own writing. Yeah. Um, you know, a very... The, the, the ultimate New Orleanian. Uh, the ultimate New Orleanian. <laughs> to hear him right. talk and just everything about him, you know. And I didn't know him until uh, we elected him to be King of Crew de Vue, and I, got, I was very involved in the inner part of workings of Crew de Vue in those days, so I got to meet him and got to know him quite well at that time. He, he was he, quite a character. He was literally, like you like to say, Joel, he was a raconteur right. who made his living as a as raconteur. A raconteur. That's right. That's that was right. his job. 
That was right. he made that job. Some, he carved out that job for himself. Very much involved with the racetrack. He wrote a racing column for years for the Picayune. That he started doing that, I think, I think in, so. in his writing career, I believe, right? And get, yeah. developed the nickname Railbird Ronnie uh, back in the right. day before he was the Ronnie Vergitz that we all knew um, for, for years as a columnist, as a TV personality and, and, yeah. other, and a radio personality as well. Um, he was just one of those guys, you know, again, an, another ubiquitous figure uh, in New Orleans yeah. that uh, was uh, was everywhere for, for a time. He kind of retired, I want to say, in the yeah. last 10 or 12 years. Uh, yeah, I think and, they, they were living across the lake. Uh, I see, I see, right. Um, yeah, who, but, uh, yeah, do, go Are there any, like, modern day, like, who's, who's Ronnie's, like, person now? You know what I mean? Like, do we have that? Do we have... Mm. I don't know that... that, that Things get passed on analogous to in the next generation. Right. As, not a, he's as, not a New Orleans native, but you could perhaps think about Chris Rhodes. <laughs> well, I was going to say. Chris Rhodes is a little bit in that vein. I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was right. going to say an amalgamation of people, and it might be Chris Rose, it might be Jay Mazza, it might be like an amalgamation of like six people that we know. Neither of those two Co- are native. Combined. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, that is the thing about this. I mean, Dude, we've been doing this podcast for three years. But Ronnie, Ronnie so Vergas had, had a like, thing that was like super... Oh, okay, I'll give you an, an analog, really. Yeah. I mean, even though he's not from New Orleans, technically, you know. But like, if you're really looking for somebody kind of, sort of, in sports, like Bobby Bear, maybe, is like a figure like that, <laughs> yeah. you know, who like yeah. is kind of like... You know, because I mean, if you listen to Bobby, he's going right. to rack and tour your ear off about like I'm thinking like sports. Ignatius and, well, yeah, of course, before Bobby, but Buddy Diliberto. And Buddy Diliberto, right. exactly. And and if I were to really, he's also king of Crudevu. Uh, he was the king of Crudevu at one point, right? Exactly. <laughs> you guys had all the best kings, by the way. And it was our uh, uh, and still do. And it was our pleasure, actually, to be attached to the King's Float when uh, when we had. Uh, um, I'm sorry, I want to say. F- uh, Frankie Ford. Right. That's right. Oh, God, what a terrific night that was. Uh, to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, and still to this day, we're the only brass band that's out there that plays Sea uh, uh, Cruise yeah. as part of our marching band okay. uh, retinue. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <All right. laughs> so um, that, that was terrific. What a terrific parade. And uh, and hats off to all you guys for organizing that over the years. You know, do you still participate in it? Uh, I don't march it anymore. Don't I, march I, anymore. My legs won't do it anymore. Right, right. But, Understood. Uh, I'm st- I'm still peripherally involved. Peripherally involved. Right. Good. Good. Um, folks, everybody knows who listens to this podcast. Crudevu is the the best carnival season parade. That's w- the way that I think it's of like, it. You know, yeah. Yeah. You put it up there. Like Zulu's in there. If you had to do a top five. <laughs> well, look. Well, look. It's it's it's, it's in everybody's top. It's, five. it's it. Uh, it definitely is in the top five. There's no question in about anyone's it. top five. It's completely different than other parades, as yeah. people outside of New Orleans. It's kind of the original. Have come to know right. Mardi Gras with the oh, big sure. with the big floats with the tractors and the bands that are from high school in between. Right. This doesn't have any of that. It has uh, quarter size floats. Um, that are that roll into the French Quarter, sometimes mule drawn, sometimes human drawn, and uh, has uh, sub crews that have their own individual names right. that are associated with them in all brass bands, not high school marching bands. Right. And uh, I would say that that's and and then of course thematically the satire it's the raciest yeah. thing going right right. 
and, and which is which is really like one of the great special things about it, and the great kings that they select year yeah, after uh, year after year, and pave the way for all the other street marching kings and queens. Parades. It should be said, yeah. yes, you know what sure. I mean. Yes. Whether it be what Saint Anne, I assume, came after Curdivu. Couldn't say that for sure. Uh, you can tell me. Ooh, I can't. They're fairly that, similar uh, in time. I Ju- think. Julu, I'm not sure. Oh, Julu. around the same time, Saint yeah. Anne. Yeah, Julu, uh, Chewbacca. You know, like pave the way for this like. Well, all, cool. all of the others that yeah. you mentioned came after, came yes, way up, well exactly. after Crew de Vue. Well exactly. after. St. Right. Anne, I can't remember which was they're first. Right they're they're there, totally yeah. different anyway. Totally. But, uh, Timing but and both, both downtown, Both downtown based. But walking parades without the big floats and all that. And look, right. uh, for a lot of people, you know, John, you've been here long enough, uh, so you know this, that... Uh, it wasn't the case that uh, we had parades roped off to these uh, preordained parade routes that we have now. So we have we, the vast majority of all the parades take place uptown. Yeah. Uh, it was a regular occurrence uh, back in the day. I can't name all the parades that were in the French Quarter, but the French Quarter had parades, full-size Float-based parades. Well, not, not in my time. Not they, in your they, time. They, they, they stopped them coming through the quarter. They had even quarter. mixed that I, I think it was 75. 70, 73, I think. 73, right. Because uh, there, there, there was a fire in the quarter, uh, uh, and okay. uh, truck, fire trucks had a problem getting through, and so they decided with the narrowness of the streets and everything that they uh, couldn't come through the quarter okay. anymore. But Crew de Vue, uh, we're not subject to the Mardi Gras ordinance. We parade. The Mardi Gras ordinance kicks in the beginning of the weekend before the big weekend. Yes. Ah, right. I didn't know so, that. You know, I see. 10 days before Mardi Gras. Nice. Well, Understood. Uh, and so we're just subject to the usual year-round parade. Like second-line parade. That's how, or, yeah. yeah. That's, how, that's how we can still go through the quarter. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. And, and we, we've, you know, the concern is that we, we it's gotten big, but it, it, it's not going to get any bigger. They're not going to let it get any bigger because then the concern will be they wouldn't let us go through the quarter anymore. Right. So it has nine. It's cut off at nine hundred members. Nine hundred members. That's it. That's it. Right. Right. And a waiting list. And a waiting long. list. Yeah. The waiting. <laughs> yeah, but it, by sub crew, you have you can't join crew to vu. You join one of the sub crews, and so I see. It's, most of the sub crews have a waiting list now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. We're attached with the uh, the great crew of underwear, right? And uh, you know, uh, I believe that one of the founding members is part of crew of underwear as well. You mentioned Keith Twitchell, yeah. right? Before and sure. uh, yeah, so uh, we've been with those guys uh, and for several years now, and it's terrific. And look, I should say, John, by uh, thank you, by the way, for booking us. Because uh, John was the booking agent for the for the parade uh, for several years. Yeah, I, I, I booked all the bands for some years for both the parade and the party afterwards. Man, not an easy job, by uh, the way. It's you know? interesting. You know, I had to find 19 brass bands uh, right. on one night. On one night. <laughs> That's right. So I used to go to all the Sunday second lines and get to know the band leaders and whatever. Sure, and lay sure. Lay the groundwork in that sort of way. Interesting. And, uh, so, how far out would you have to book those nineteen bands? Like six months out? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd start working on it in the in the fall. You know, yeah. when the second line season was 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 underway in, in the peak. fall, and yeah. get out there and talk to band leaders and whatever. And nice. Say, you know, ones that have done it that I've done it before. Just say you're going to be up for it again this year. Yeah. yeah? And uh, you know, and then talk to some that I didn't know and discuss it with them. That's a fun gig. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun doing. Yeah. It. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and then we booked some good booked some good acts for the party afterwards too. Sure. Yeah, like what sure. were some highlights of that of the, the after party? Like 
The ball. Yeah, the ball or the the do we just call it the crew de voodoo. The crew de voodoo. <laughs> right. <laughs> any any highlights musically from over the years? Oh, uh, John Cleary. Yeah. Uh, Marsha Ball. Uh, Mar- Mar- Marsha Ball did it. The headlined it the year um, that sh- she was up for a Grammy, but sadly didn't get it. So Crew de Vu made her the 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 the, the mascot of Crew de Vu is a a, 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 a a drawing, if you like, a figure called the Goofy Guy, and so we made her a Goofy Guy Grammy, and I, pre- I, I presented it to her. On oh, the that's stage. terrific! That's <laughs> terrific. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned John Cleary because uh, you know maybe you do social media, maybe you don't, you know, but uh, John Cleary is the person that I would nominate if there was an award for making the best use of social media that really? I have ever seen. I agree. Ever. He writes some spectacular mini essays Doesn't he? about what he's doing at any given time or his experiences musically, and they are thoroughly enjoyable from the first sentence to the last. I absolutely agree. Yeah. John's yeah. a good friend of mine, and... Uh, I love I love that stuff, and I really hope, and I, I I need to talk to him about this next time I see him that that he's that he or perhaps Trisha, his wife, is keeping all this stuff. I hope that they you know, are because they're, they're really terrific. There's, but you know, there's books there. There are there are books there. He talks about these stories about how he comes in and when he was young and he was just like didn't know anybody and his experiences with you know with Dave, Dave he's had beautiful ones just, just this just week wonderful this he's week he's had beautiful yes. ones about Mac about and, Mac and, and today about Dave Dave and today about Dave that's right exactly and I mean folks you know and I've, I've been saying this on social media for me that Dave Dave Bartholomew is the king of rock and roll to me yeah he is um, and and I <coughs> I just apply the same uh the same criteria that they apply to Elvis, right? He was the 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 guy who he was the white guy who had the most hits at the earliest stage, and so I say, well, who was the non-white guy who had the most <laughs> hits at the earliest stage in the rock and roll game? And it was Fats Domino. So it, to me, it's a it's a shared crown. It's it's truly when you consider the. Now, I was thinking about this today a lot because I was listening to the Fat Man song. And maybe I'm wrong about this, okay? And I, I don't know that I don't know if I am or not. But to me, the, the criteria that people apply to rock and roll that um, it came about when the guitar uh, entered the scene, and then we can call it rock and roll. I think that's just completely erroneous and, and false because. It's not the instrumentation that matters so much. It's the licks that are being played and the rhythm and yeah. the attitude in the music and how it differentiated itself from other popular music forms at the time, right? And if even if you consider the career of Dave Bartholomew, who was a trumpet player, yeah. that he so he he uh, he tamped down on his trumpet playing. He didn't put himself out front as a soloist as a trumpeter because he was smart enough to understand in that idiom the trumpet was already passe 
the trumpet had become as passe in rock and roll as the banjo had. Sure. You know, and it, okay. And and but there's the, but I mean, it came out of rhythm and blues. It did, and uh, in which saxophones and piano, saxophone and piano. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Is a saxophone, piano, drum, bass. <laughs> And that those were the early instruments yeah. uh, in the earliest uh, form of rock and roll. And, of course, electric guitar as well. But um, the prominence for that came a little bit later yeah. as the 50s went on. But I was listening to the licks in The Fat Man. And the way that Fats Domino plays the piano is essentially the same lick that Chuck Berry's playing on the guitar. You know, you get this kind of these similarities that you can't set aside. You know, because that's the thing in being a musician. Everyone is trying to, at some point or another, emulate whatever it might be. So if you're playing the guitar, you're trying to sound like the piano that you think is hot, or you. And there's other licks that happen as well that clearly come from horns. And from saxophone, right? And you hear some of Chuck Berry's uh, uh, licks, and there it's clearly derived from horn sections, mm-hmm. you know. So, so for me, it's a, it's the licks, it's the rhythm, and you have somebody like Earl Palmer uh, playing on that record for crying out loud. And most people attribute that rhythm to uh, the birth of rock and roll. And uh, and then don't forget Mac Rebinex on it on guitar. God, right? Which he's on on the Fat Man. Yeah, in forty nine in nineteen forty. So. I think so. Come on, seriously? <laughs> Am I wrong? Or what? Are, he's on some of the fat stuff. He's on some of the fat stuff. Maybe yeah. a bit later than maybe I think. Not. Maybe a little later. Right? Maybe. Yeah, but but even still, Dave, you know they had all of those. Nobody was a bigger hit maker earlier. Than Dave Bartholomew, sure. and and it could be argued, and I understand that, and it's true. Um, but look, uh, for many many years, uh, he was an overlooked figure in terms of his influence on uh, the early days of rock and roll, and I don't think he got his due. And I was very happy to hear, at least, that um, National Public Radio carried his obituary uh, yesterday nice. nationally. And that and that 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 historical yeah. context is included in the lexicon of what is current now about, I about page, the history of rock and roll. Front page of the New York Times as well. I believe. Front page of the New York Times. There you go. Yeah, you deservedly, know. rightly so. Absolutely, deservedly. I he mean, was never forgotten, though. You know, I mean, he was always around. And uh, there were two years. I don't remember what two years it was. It was certainly well before the storm. Um, that he had a big band. I've had, I think he called it Dave Bartholomew Orchestra uh, on the big stage at Jazz Fest, whatever it was, Fest stage that probably was. That's that. right. That's right. And those were fantastic gigs. Great. Th- that yes. was the both those years. That was the best thing I heard at Jazz Fest that year. Terrific. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. Uh, then I think it was a somewhat of a falling out, perhaps over money. I don't know. Like, and uh, he didn't do it, and he didn't do it anymore. And he didn't and it was do just it such a damn shame. Was I that, know, it was fabulous. I know. He just got all terrific musicians, and they were drilled. You know, I mean, like 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 he did. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, who was I reading? I was reading another musician today. He was talking about that, about the what a disciplinarian that he was, and that he would ro- he would rope everybody back in if it seemed like you were drifting or maybe you were following somebody else. 
as somebody else's lead. He was like, you don't need to follow anybody else. You need to follow me. Right. That's it. I'm the band leader. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that great story from uh, John as well. That oh, yeah. Yeah. Hanging He's like, out. That, that white guys in my, <laughs> in my, my, my rehearsal. <laughs> he stops the, uh, Joel, he stops the recording session and he turns around and Cleary and his buddy are just flies on the wall because they've been brought there by the drummer. Right. Who's Bunch a, of Johnson. A Bunch of Johnson who's on the, on the session. And, uh, and Dave Bartholomew has no idea who these guys are. So he stops the entire thing. There's a huge band right there. Everybody's looking at them, all eyes on them suddenly. And he's like, what are you doing in here? Why are you here? It's stone cold serious. And, and looking like, you know, well, I'm going to kick you out of here. And like, well, we're in. And then the drummer says, well, they're, he's, they're cool. They're, they're with us. me. They're with me. And he gives, it, he gives him the stone cold serious face again. He says, I'm just messing with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, but he said, who are these two white? Who's these white guys? Yeah, white <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, uh, so many great stories about him, yeah. and uh, and and what an amazing, uh, you know, that 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 talent for for arranging the music, and and oh gosh, I mean, John, have you ever seen that clip? It's on YouTube now. I had the good fortune of seeing it at the Ponderosa Stomp when uh, I forget who brought it forward. It's a musicologist who comes down. Uh, during uh, Ponderosa Stomp, um, who has a lot of great material like this, but he rediscovered a performance of Fats Domino uh, in France in 1962, and it's the whole band together. It's mm-hmm. Dave Bartholomew, it looks to be Earl Palmer on drums, mm-hmm. um, touring in, in, in France, and it's just an amazing, amazing performance. If anybody out there, if you're looking for, I'm probably, I'm going to post it, as a matter of fact, post. as a part of our yeah. stuff. And uh, it, 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 if you want to know about Dave Bartholomew as a performer, you can you just just watch this. That, that's all I can say. It's a terrific performance. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. By the way, uh, reverting slightly. <coughs> uh, yeah, please. When we did those, we did those CDs with Bob French. Uh, he asked Dave if he would come and play a song, and he did. And uh, he played Sugar Blues on muted trumpet. I think it's track three on the first record. Okay. And it's absolutely beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful. And what's the name of the record? I'm sorry again. Uh, Living the Legacy. Living the Legacy. Okay. The legacy being that of the original Tuxedo Jazz Band. Of course. Which, uh, you know, Bob inherited from his father who inherited it from uh, Papa Celestine. From Papa Celestine, yeah. <laughs> Going really far back. That's right. So how many jazz fests have you been to approximately? Uh, 44. People know how many they've been to. So when <laughs> I said approximately, I was baiting. Because uh, no one doesn't know how many they've been to. Well, I've been in New Orleans 43 years, and right. the first one I went to was in 76, the first year I was here. Wow. So, and I haven't missed one. That's the thing about Jazz Fest. I've missed weekends. You know how many you've gone to. Right. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I even know, like, kind of which days I missed per year. So uh-huh. Kind of, you know. During yeah. the last foggy years. Yeah, what, 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 what were your, have you been every year since when? When was your first jazz festival? Nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. Oh, uh huh. Yep, that every, was back when the jazz tent and gospel tent were still in the grass. still on the infield, and so you could be hung over right. and on the infield. You just lay down. I would one the universal one would lie down at eleven thirty in the morning because I thought can I get there right at the, you know, and I would just lie down there with like a coffee. In between the two tents and just take the two <laughs> sounds in at the same time. That old jazz tent on the infield was great. Um, yes. Because it wasn't anything like the size of what there is Oof. now. It didn't need to be. 
and it was but it was a, it was a mix of traditional and modern jazz all, all in the one tent. Were you there for Sonny Rollins back? At, yes, like, indeed. Nineties. Oh sure. my God! One of the I, one of the time first times I've ever like bawled like weeping like <laughs> but bawling, not just shedding tears. Like yeah, but like everyone right. else was too. Like four out of ten people. Oh really? Were bawling? Huh. Yeah, it wasn't just I wasn't just like high on something. <laughs> right. You know, it was just Sonny Rollins. You know, uh, dude went Marcellus with his big band in the infield at Jazz Tent playing a Love Supreme in its entirety. Oh, gosh. was another highlight. Yeah. What about um, you? Do you have any like just jazz fest highlights that still like kind of blow your hair back oh god i mean there's so many so many uh, right i mean the first, my first one in 76 there was i was new to new orleans i knew new orleans traditional jazz some but that was about it and so many people i heard at that first jazz fest that i just fell in love with and i've remained in love with since uh Irma thomas marsha ball jermaine basil Gatemouth Brown, Kate, uh, the Dixie oh. Cups, uh, yeah. you know, on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say Lionel Hampton when oh, yeah. Lionel Hampton uh, refused to stop playing at seven o'clock, <laughs> and he was about ninety-two, I want to say, at the time, and the stage manager is kind of like, like it's Lionel Hampton it's Lionel Hampton like <laughs> right. what, do you, what do you say it's completely <laughs> uncomfortable and and so the, uh, it, the I don't know if it's stage manager but at, you know whatever stage flunky is like you know got the little mouthpiece and the headphones and they're like hey uh, giving the signal on the side and he's just waving at him like hey how you doing let's keep going exactly. right and so they played until about 7.30 exactly literally like that. over yeah. because nobody had the chutzpah to go and tell Lionel Hampton to stop playing and why would you and why would you right exactly well that's one of the terrific things about New Orleans too you know yeah. it's like uh, improvisation well and also that you know there's enough leeway um, right. Even within a, a you know a kind of a structured environment like a like a big festival like that you know that sure. they can make room for a performer like Lionel Hampton at his advanced age to continue yeah. to do his performance and and not do something embarrassing right you know yeah so, sure you know so right. as long as it's not out, don't get out of hand I mean I, I think exactly. it's right the jazz fist finishes when it does exactly I within, agree you know a few minutes whatever either way because you know. The, if, if, if people have said, oh, why doesn't it go on into the evening? No, then you're going to get people all liquored up, and right. it becomes a whole sure. different scene. You oh. never keep that mellow feeling Walking if, if out it of went on after dark. As the sun is setting, it's perfect. Isn't it? It is. It is. It is. So many great uh, experiences, like walking out during the sunset. Uh, yeah. 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 Marsha Ball on the on what's now the Gentilly stage, closing out, as she did for many years. So Absolutely. The sun setting. Just wonderful. They put her in the blues tent this year, boo. Uh, no, I didn't get to see her. <laughs> yeah, at sunset, you want to be outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, I mean, it's, it is that almost like Arizona-like purple and gold during that time of year. Mm-hmm. You can get that really mm-hmm. beautiful light. Beautiful yes. light. Yes. Warm and cool. That's right. Together. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's just nothing like it. Yeah, I remember going to see Santana at the whatever it was. I think it was the WWL Ray-Ban stage uh, at that point. And um, and having that experience, you know, that was in, back when I was like a Santana fan, you know. It, it was it was terrific, you know, watching the sun go down and and listening to uh, 
listening to that music. Carlos Shedd. I recall also the meters the year that Springsteen played a few years back. You know, the meters reconvened, and they did... Right. Uh, they did. Was that 2006? When's the year? No, the yeah. one Springsteen's been back again since then. Springsteen's been, I think, three times actually, or yeah. something like since then. But uh, I think it was maybe 06, and and the Meters played the Audubon Zoo song, you know, right. which like for a sure. lot of people maybe is like they're like, what is that? They don't <laughs> they don't know, you know, like and like for me, I was like, they're playing. That that moment for me was very very special to have this super New Orleans song like played live for you, um, and you could tell as well that like all the people that grew up listening to that song as a kid and who went to the zoo as kids sure. yeah. in the audience like everyone knew exactly. the lyrics yeah, to course. that song and like other people who aren't from New Orleans were like what is this song for crying <laughs> out? and everyone you know how that weird feeling that you get when everybody knows the lyrics and you're like wait a minute what <laughs> yeah. it was like that and yeah. so that was that was a terrific highlight for me as well I had that um, experience this is a total set, non sequitur I'll make it brief at Bonnaroo last weekend I was like, what are the Lonely Island guys going to do? You know? You know who? the Lonely, the no, lonely is Island guys? Yeah, who are they? They're the dudes who make the music videos on Saturday Night Live. Oh, oh, right, right. Do you know right. what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, Like, I yeah. got a big boat. Yeah. And, like, all those silly things. Yeah, the the, the silly ones. Like so Dick, Bonner, Dick in like, the Box. Dick in the Box. The Dick in the Box, you know, like, anyway, so... You're losing me totally. John, talk among yourselves. Okay, the only the, and I'm so I'm not going to talk about it except to say that I thought they would have to do something conceptually arty besides just play their music videos because why would it even be interesting? Yeah, that wouldn't be interesting. But then 95 percent of the people were singing along, and me and this like white dude next to me who's about my same age, we were laughing because it's funny. But we were like, why does everyone know the words? Because they all watch YouTube. To like, they all watch YouTube. Yep. And yep. the lyrics are like, the one song's about like getting signed by a manager or like, I mean, it's all like tongue in cheek, sarcastic humor. Um, anyway, that's not here nor there. But <laughs> right. That was a weird fucking experience. <laughs> I'm like, why does 60,000 people know the lyrics to these songs about, you know, being on a boat? Because they're of another generation. And, and that's, like that's that. where they're going. Anyway, so yeah. as I'll use that as a segue, man. And John, and I mean, I think one of the reasons that you're here, we ran into each other on Frenchman Street not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And we had never formally met. Um, much like how you landed, I think, in the 70s and never went on the other side of Canal Street. I landed in New Orleans in 1994. Mm-hmm. Oak Street, Snake and Jake's Maple Leaf. Jackamos, right? And and we rarely got, you know, past canals. Probably really not past Louisiana, right? You know what I mean? Like downtown was just not a thing. So when we went downtown, it was a fucking field trip. And of my big circle of friends, because like you, it sounds like with your experience, you just meet so many people, right? And your friend group blossoms, and that's what happened to me. And I had dozens of friends who like to stay in the neighborhood. But I had one or two friends who liked to take a field trip. And for us, a big field trip was going to the new Showcase Lounge. Uh-huh. Right over here. Uh-huh, yeah. Or Donna's. Uh-huh. Or both. All you right. know? And that's where, John, I remember seeing you for the first time 
Well, I, I hang out at Donna, Donna's all the time. I was sure. I, I was involved in Donna's happening in the first place. Oh, were yeah. you really? Yeah. What's the story with that, John? Well, uh, Donna's an old friend of mine for over 40 years. Um, huh. When she and her first husband, John Poniatowski, generally known as Polak, had a joint. <laughs> Why? That was, that was no. Well, there you go. <laughs> they had a joint on, uh, on Bourbon Street called Polak's Place. And... Uh, <laughs> I used to hang out there and got to know them well and uh, um, became friends. And then um, that joint failed after a time. And um, John was a um, sanitary engineer by trade. And uh, he got a job in Florida and they went to live in central Florida, the Orlando area. Um, and uh, so they were there for years. And then Donna went into the, into the uh, started teaching in high school in Florida, so they were there for for years, and then I stayed in touch. And John got sick, and I went down to see him when he, he had cancer. But anyway, well, he passed, and I, I was I hadn't sit, really been in touch with Donna for a couple of years, and I just ran into her in the quarter one day, and uh, you know, big hugs and how you doing and what's going on, and uh, I said, "Well, come and have a drink." She said, "Well, I I, I want to, but uh, I've got my Harley with me because she she rode a Harley back in those days. I think she still has it." <laughs> All right. And she said, "I'm on my way to California to see her son, who was in the army there then." She said, "I'm going to see Yannick, and then I'm going to Sturgis, South Dakota, uh, for the um, big Harley rally that happens there every summer." Uh, so so anyway, I got to go park my bike. I'm staying down in the bywater with a friend. I got to go park my bike down there. I'll do that, and then I'll come and meet you for a drink right. at Johnny White Sports Bar, which is where I mostly hung out in those days. So I went in there, and I was chatting kind of vaguely to a, a mutual friend, a guy called Tom Hill. And um, I was <clears throat> Sadie and I had uh, my then lady. You know, we had a bed and breakfast place then um, on St. Anne Street, uh, just. Uh, Virtually next door to what became Donna's, just off the corner of um, Saint Anne, just off the corner of uh, Rampart, and uh, so I was trying to chat to him about damn, the the place, that damn place on the corner next to us. It's uh, I wish somebody had get that place and put something decent in there. It had been a real n pretty nasty gay trick joint in its last incarnation, and it was empty. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm just ch chatting to Tom about this, and here comes Donna, and she says, "What place are you talking about?" So I told her, she said, well, can we go look at it? So we, we went and looked in the windows and she said, look, um, I'm, I'm committed, I'm, I'm going to California and Sturgis, but instead of going straight back to Florida, I'm gonna come back after Sturgis if you can arrange to get me in there to see it. So I did and we did and it became Donna's Bar and Grill. Hey, well, <laughs> what year was this when, when Donna's opened? About? No, uh, it's in the... Um, God, I don't know, the late 80s, I guess. Yeah. It was my favorite place to go from 94 to, I don't know, 99 or something. Like, that was the, the go-to place. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. great. It was a great place. I mean, it was every, everybody played there. It started, out, she start, started out, she was just doing kind of more guitar music, like almost... Like folk, folky whatever, type folky stuff, yeah. Stuff. It wasn't the brass band headquarters. And then, yeah. And then what? Then what? Well, Charlie, then because Charlie was uh, who became her second husband and who started out uh, cooking for her in the restaurant. Charlie's uh, main job was he was a chef on Amtrak on the uh, city of New Orleans Chicago run, <laughs> and um, 
one time there was some special thing going on with Amtrak and the Tremay Brass Band with Benny Jones were on the train. Right. So Ch- Charlie and Benny became good friends on that trip and then uh, got, he got them to come play at Donald's when, uh, when, they, when they came, you know, sometime after they came back. And then the brass band thing kind of started from there and it yeah. became the brass, brass band headquarters. It was yep. a, all brass band for a while and then it became some traditional jazz, you know, di- different type of stuff as well, but yeah. always some brass band. Yeah, we played there a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> so we were a little off the wall for yeah. Donald's, you know, but they liked us. You know, I remember Charlie was, uh, he was, he was, he was great. Donna he as was. well. Yeah. And, uh, it was a great joint. It was a great joint. It was, you know, it was a shame also that, uh, you know, the next people weren't able to get it open and up and running like that too. You know? Well, that was, if they, if they'd attended business, they might've been able to, if they had, they, had, they to, didn't attend a business. They, they didn't let, get they it let, together they, fast enough. No, yeah. they, 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 they let all the permits and licenses uh, lapse. But they also had a, they had some organized opposition. As well, to a degree, to a degree, that could have yeah. been overcome if that they'd could. known how to go about it, right? Uh, yeah, yep, uh, that's unfortunate. But um, and they, and there it is, right? It's still still, is sit, it, still sitting still there, boarded there, up, boarded yeah. up, right? Exactly. Such a freaking jam. I know, I know. I mean, interesting. Interestingly enough, like there was a time when I went down to Donna's where, and this might have been '96, I want to say, where. You couldn't go into Armstrong Park if you mm-hmm. wanted to be safe. And Donna's was... So I had this... Giovanna, my girlfriend, and the girlfriend back then, remember Giovanna? Yeah. Italian, uh, Lebanese. Great lady. Um, <laughs> she was nuts. And she, like, just to make a point as we were arguing... I'm like, I, was, I, was, I was about to say, like, what I'm is... Like, you don't go into... What's the safe and unsafe part I was like, here? you don't go the into park Donna's and, like, start yelling at me. Like, this is like a present, it's like a, not, I mean, it's just an institution just because of the music. You, you can't, she was like, I'm going into that park. I said, like, you can't go into the park because it's not safe. So she runs into the park. Mm. And I'm like, so this is what, what I'm dealing with. What happened? Nothing. I broke up with her. After I mean, I got that? her to safety. Because I mean, of that? Eventually, that was like the thing. Giovanna, that was the thing, if you're listening. Wow. Like. Interesting. You don't like leverage your own personal safety to make a point to your partner you know what i mean i think no. i'm now you think i should have just let it go yeah it's just passion it was very passionate you know? but there's like that was a really my point is that was a very dangerous park at the time now fast forward to 2019 the park is perfectly pleasant and safe and there's no donna's it's just a quite a weird juxtaposition. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. The you know juxtaposition. I mean? yeah. The park's locked at night. It is, but even during the day, it's it was a little unsafe night. back then, and yeah. it wasn't. Sure. And it wasn't locked back then. That is true. Well, yeah, I recall you know, it being open. You, 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 li- you lived, as you said, uptown. I, I, was, <laughs> I was lived in the French Quarter, and I, I have a diff- I have Great somewhat different reply. ideas to what's safe and what isn't. Down That's there. right. That's right. You see, you had a fish, you had a hook in your cheek the whole time, sure Joel, did. and you were slowly being reeled in. You know, <laughs> I you just, just threw didn't up know a it. Softball. You didn't John. know it. I would thank. I would thank her. I would I, the now knowing what you know now. I would thank her. Thank her. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. For that night. Okay. I disagree. <laughs> anyway, John. Yeah. Enlighten us. Like, what was? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> it's a damn shame that Donna's is no longer there. Yes, it That's is. That's my point. 
you know, when the rest of that neighbor. And, and it's a damn shame. We just talked about all the people that we've lost recently, musicians, and why there's the municipal auditorium sitting empty yeah. next to Congo Square. Why is there not a why is there not music incubator opportunities here in terms of our culture, like sustaining our culture? Why isn't there like a museum here? Like, why aren't we honoring what, I mean, it's alive on the street. I'm curious, sincerely, as how do you feel about this? John? About what? About like, should we try to have some sort of public policy or planning in and around New Orleans music culture or just let it be completely organic as it's been? Or try to take some proactive steps to turn Municipal Auditorium into some sort of, like a New Orleans music museum or... Well, that would be uh, great. And, you know, the, music, the, the auditorium's still waiting on sorting out the hurricane damage with FEMA. That's why it's still sitting there uh, at the moment. But they're sitting you know, on... It's ridiculous. They're sitting on like $40 million of FEMA money, though, is my understanding. Really? Yeah. Well, you probably know more and more about it than I do. Um, you know, and you brought a question. Um, yeah, it it's still it's got to remain organic. Um, yeah. However, you know, there could be there's various. You know, Jan Ramsey goes on about this a lot, editorially and offbeat. And Roderick Paulin is being very active at the moment in putting uh, a new organization together to help musicians. And I think that something may come out of that. There, there, you can, you can, you can have it organic, but still with some some stru- some structure to assist it, yeah. but not control it. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, because yeah. we talked about that that um, when Holly Hobbs was on the show, that we can cite some of these other places that have done things that seemingly are kind of. They seem to be on their face to be things that we should aspire to, right? Like Nashville has a big museum that is devoted to all the country and western artists that have passed through Nashville, you know, and it's a great, it's a terrific museum. I've been, um, but but do we want to become Nashville? Yeah, that's the question. We like, don't want to be New Disney. Orleans. We don't want to be like that, and I think that that's yeah. you know probably a resounding no. And but it would right. be nice to have recording studios here. But it'd be nice to have sure publicists here for music. It'd be nice to have music attorneys here. Uh, well, there there are there are recording studios. There are music attorneys. Very. I mean, it's 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 few and far between relative to other markets that produce the kind of music that we make. In, in my opinion. Well, I don't think any other markets do produce the kind of music we make. No, that's true. Uh, we're, Good we're, point. New Orleans, New Orleans is different, and uh, totally, yeah, sure. There are some things to be done to help musicians and whatever, and that would be great. But um, but, but want, okay, don't but, try and make us like anywhere else because that's no. then, then you're killing the whole thing. Then you then you kill the whole thing. I completely agree. So how do we bridge the gap between what the sentiment you just I'll put you forth an- and the, and the reality that let's say trombone shorty or someone like him or her a musician that's like that their music manager is based somewhere else and kind of has to be the publicist is based somewhere else and kind of has to be like I guess I'm just can't we try to have an understanding of how important the culture is I think everyone knows that anecdotally but economically so that we can have more resources here for musicians so all those dollars don't go away from our community. 
Sounds good. Can go to New York. Yeah, I think there could be more no, build, no, it's not like build better or work. Build out. You know, I mean, TV. like one of the things that I think of too is like I don't think that Nashville is necessarily like such a great example. And every now and again, you know, you talk about living uptown, you get these uh, these ideas, and people say like, "Oh, well, you know, we should be like Savannah, Georgia." No, we should not. We should not be like Savannah, Georgia. Or Charleston, not, South Carolina. Or Charleston, South Carolina. Let's not be that. But then I think about like Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm like, you know, there's a couple of things going on in Memphis that are a little bit further ahead than where we are now. They're you know, so, so we have like this. Yeah. You have the Stacks Museum in Memphis, which like I don't think anybody is gonna like poo-poo that idea. That's a great asset in that community, you know. And they have the Sun Records. That was such an, a great uh, tour. Because I had no idea what we were getting into. Yeah, but so. how, much, how, how much really heartwarming, soul-warming music of, is going on on the streets no, no, of Memphis? I, I, People don't come to New Orleans to go to museums. They come to John, hear the totally, live music. I totally that agree is, with that. That is completely I to- true. I totally agree with that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that, and, that and that's a, what I'm saying is like, yeah. if we're talking about our, our, our lack of that were lackadaisical in memorializing things what i'm pointing to in memphis is that i like that better at least you know because you go to sun studios and they're like oh here's the tour okay everybody is everybody ready they open the door you're in one room and that's the tour right right because it's that's what a recording studio was like and so i'm sorry just to complete a thought that like yeah if i'm if i'm going to say like it is a shame that the building that housed Cosmo's recording studio is a is a laundromat. You know, I I don't you know that'd be a great that'd be great. They got if, a plaque on it. They got a plaque on it. It's a nice yeah, plaque. Exactly. I was there when it's it was really unveiled. Nice. You were there when it was unveiled, I sure was. John. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when, as I would expect, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I mean, those are the kind of ideas that I have too. Yes. I would love to see a New Orleans uh, Museum of Music. You know, that's uh, that's a place that you know is a repository for you know the, the a broader understanding of what New Orleans music is. I think that's a good. But, I think it's a great but idea. But John, whose time point, has come? I agree with you completely. That the thing that I always my friends ask, and my family ask, why I love living here, and it's because the it's a living tradition. It's a living culture. You yeah. just walk out of your house, right. and it's there. That people don't go to theaters and museums here; they just go out on the street, and that is my, by and large, my my favorite thing about New Orleans, for sure. Just the street culture, more yeah. than anything else. And living in the quarter as I do, very often it comes by my house. It comes by your house. And living living it comes in the by se- my house. Living here. in the seventh ward, right over you here. Know, the second like, line comes by the my roots house. of music. You know, oh, the young the, the, the young brass band that exactly. Derek Tav got started, uh-huh. which is just a great organization. Terrific. Terrific. I, in the lead up to Mardi Gras, they come by my house every evening. Oh, that's great. That's exactly. terrific. So you've got those experiences in New Orleans that are so precious and original, and you can't replicate can't you can't replicate it because everyone is a snowflake its own thing but you've got like the backstreet museum yeah little one room two room three room shotgun that's right you've got like uh the, the little jazz museum in the treme the house um, of house of uh what, what not house of some ron lewis's little place down yes. in the ninth ward house of something in feathers oh, that house one, okay. of dancing feathers okay, dancing so feathers in the ninth ward that's right, right in the backyard i'm yeah. thinking the little treme jazz museum that just popped up yeah uh, al jackson's thing yeah there's a weird one in downtown new orleans too that's like by uh the by the what was 
the Roosevelt Hotel. Like okay, uh, just really? up the street from there that yeah. Tracy and I saw. We were walking down the street. Look to our left, and I was like, "What is this right here?" And it's like New Orleans Museum of da 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 da. And I was like, "Wow, well, that's interesting." I don't know. I don't. Know. It's I don't something know that I'm going to have to go and like take what, a look at. What Dave Coon is doing at the Mint or whatever. The yeah. Mint, yeah. Well, of course, that's yeah. I mean, that's a, a little bit more in line, kind of like we can have it both ways. ways. We can have that both ways. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, that's not going to stand in the way of like New Orleans street culture. Like very little has. You I know, think what the Mint's the doing now is, is terrific. I mean, and, and you know, it, it's it exhibits that are up for three, four months, That's whatever. Right. Yes, yes. And then that goes away. And That's another, right. And they've That's got right. two or three different things running at the same time. So it's exactly. a constantly evolving right. musician rather museum rather than. That's it's, right. It's educational. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like a contemporary art center than it is a museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense completely. I I feel you on that. And it's a great place to have small festivals outside, as a number as of them are. As we've seen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Satchmo Fest and mm-hmm. others. And they got the yeah. nice little performance space up, up, on, the there, up on the top yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Which has great great acoustics. Yes. Yes. The only thing is it doesn't have a bar. It doesn't have a bar. <laughs> we got to work on that. Let's call David. <laughs> Let's get him on the horn. Let's see if we can remedy that. Oh, man. Take that bottle of liquor out of your desk drawer. <laughs> Get some soda water. Well, Joel, we're at about a buck five now, so uh, I think that uh, we should probably wrap it up here with John. So. Uh, yeah, I would just want to ask John: Is sure, there anything ahead. else? Like, I feel like, man, we like are just scratching the surface talking to you because you have so many stories. And so, I mean, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, my pleasure. Um, no, is there anything like? Is there like a a story or a Anything that unprompted <laughs> that, that you might conjure up. <laughs> I mean, because it's rare to like, you've had the, the breadth of experience that you've had. Yeah. You know, like. Oh, well, we, the, we've covered some ground, you know. I mean, Donna's uh, crew de vue, um, OZ. Uh, I guess those, those are kind of high points. Um, but, you know, these days I hang out. More, more on Frenchman Street. I, I don't get into the quarter really. I, mean, I live in the quarter, but I live on the edge of the quarter by oh, Esplanade. Right, right. So I don't get into. I, I go to Frenchman Street mostly and uh, hang out at DBA particularly, and lo- a lot of good music there. And that, that, yeah, that's that's, right. that's that's my favorite hang these days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. And it's you know three blocks from my house. That's right. And you right. do the daytime festivals. I've seen you. Oh there. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I li- I love the fact that you take your shirt off. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take it off at Jazz Fest as much this year because actually it was it was relatively cooler, especially the first right. weekend. That's right. Uh, but I kind of I, I, it seems like I'm kind of expected to take it off, you know. After all, I've been doing it. I, I used to, no shirt, no shoes. It's you your know, look. It's your Fest. look. John. You are. I used, I used to stash my, my sandals in the back of Economy Hall when I got out there in the morning and just right. do the whole thing barefoot. But nice. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was great. at what well, was well, some years ago. I was asked to be on a panel on the Allison Minor stage of uh, Jazz Fest four Jazz Fest characters, <laughs> and uh, so I was considered to be one. One of the others was Beetle Bob. Oh, Beetle Bob, of course. And one of the others was Jack. Uh, I was calling Jack Green. So it was Where's Green? Jack, who uh, organizes, uh, started the watermelon sacrifices. <laughs> oh, right, of course. I can't remember who the fourth one was. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, oh, interesting. Good times. And then, uh, lastly, like, how do you, how do you get through the New Orleans summer? 
do you do you schedule a vacation or you no, mitigate? No, not anymore. I used to go to England every. I go back to England every summer, but I haven't for about five six years now. I really, I don't have any particular reason to anymore. Yeah, and uh, I really hate air travel these days. The way it's become. Sure. So uh, I just stay here and. Uh, Sweat, and it's okay. I don't use air conditioning in my house because I don't like right. air conditioning. I'm kind right. of the same way. Right. I have just yeah. everything. I have you know, ceiling fans going full blast in every room, and uh, old school windows screened and open. And you get any pools or anything? Any, any pools? What? Like pools? Do you get in the pool? Swimming? No, don't have no. no, not anymore. And the pools? Yeah, yeah just. Uh, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind the summers. I mean, it can get a bit tough. Uh, yeah, like last the last week. Well, the last weekend when it got so hot. Yeah, I was I, I was setting set out to go to the Orpheum for Doctor John's second line, and I. I got a couple of blocks from my house, and I thought I can't do this. That was a my, my 105 plus heat yeah, index. Yeah, that was and a scorching I, my, day. My old, nearly 80 year old body. I just decided I really want to go, but for once in my life, I'm going to be smart. <laughs> so I went home and I listened to the memorial on on OZ, and then Good. I found a video feed that somebody had, had put up that I think was it was associated also with the second line. So I did fine. Good, but. Uh, but mostly, I, I I don't let the summer bother me. I just take things real slow. Yeah, that's, that's good. Right. That's right. And uh, okay, so I'll just uh, wrap it up by saying that, sure. uh, but with a plug, uh, Green Demons are going to be playing at uh, at the Portside Lounge on Thursday, and uh, so that's it. That's I what I have plug. right now. Go ahead. I'm going to Europe next week. Oh yeah, for the first time. Really. Yeah, sweet. I'm going to Dublin, Manchester, London, Edinburgh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. With so music got, in mind, got, in particular, or I'm, just I'm, I'm traveling with a band to sort of a New Orleans band help them out. New mm-hmm. Orleans band. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're gonna say who? Uh, James Williams is uh, New Orleans Swamp Donkeys. Okay. Going on the road with those guys. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it should be interesting and fun. So sure. I'm excited. I'm gonna try and take a little jump over to Amsterdam and see a lady friend of mine. Oh, good. Right. Yeah, we have like yeah. a couple of days off. Excellent. Just, so the plug is, if yeah, you're over, yeah. listeners, to the, we do have European listeners. So, okay. you know, Facebook me if you want to hang out. <laughs> so you're kind of like road manager for them? Yeah, pretty All much. Right. Well, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Should be fun. <laughs> it's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, ladies and gentlemen. We'll catch up with you next time. Yeah, you're right.